touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And we are covering the Bungie story. This is part two. And when last we left you, it was 1999, and I had left it on a cliffhanger, or as much of a cliffhanger as you can make anything that happened in the past that anyone with access to the internet could look up and find out (laughs) the answer. But still thrilling. Yeah, Bungie itself was in a little bit of... um, A financial pickle. Yeah. Uh, They had taken a break from FPS, uh, first-person shooter games, Mm -hmm. that is, in order to develop this this tactics series called Myth. And they had a a tiny little bug in Uh, Myth Yeah, a a little bug in Myth 2 that that could have deleted people's entire computers. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess not deleted their entire computers. That's terrible computer science. Just 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 the hard hard drive. drive. Yeah. Yeah, no big. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, who needs an operating system? Or... And and fixing this manually by replacing all of the disks and all of the boxes basically cost them what they made on the game. Yeah. So they were in some issues. Uh, they began to work on a project that in it internally was being called Blam. Uh, and it was another tactical game that was like Myth, but it had a science fiction setting rather than Myth's dark fantasy setting. Uh, as they were developing it, they decided that the, the tactical base where you were controlling multiple units was probably less interesting. They wanted to go with a third person approach. So you're controlling a single character, mm-hmm. but from the third person perspective. Uh, and then it would eventually develop into a first person shooter. Yeah. Uh, but that game by then would end up with a different name. Uh, but that's, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, well, just not, barely. Not too much ahead of ourselves because in 1999 at the Macworld Conference and Expo, a Bungie would show off a demo of this game for the Mac that they had in development called Halo. Yes. So Halo was originally a title for the Mac. It was going to be a Mac exclusive and perhaps eventually port over to the PC if it were successful enough. If you remember, uh, Marathon 2 had ported over mm-hmm. to the PC eventually. Uh, so uh, this was a really big opportunity for Bungie. In fact, uh, a, a pretty notable persona in the field of technology was the one to introduce Jason Jones to come out on the Macworld stage and talk about Halo. Uh, yeah, just Steve Jobs. Yeah. So this is a video, by the way, that is available online. You can go to YouTube and watch this Macworld 1999 presentation where Steve Jobs introduces Jason Jones and he talks about the game Halo for the first time. And if you watch the video... You're going to see a lot of stuff that was, in fact, included in the final game. Oh, yeah, yeah. The the, the demo is, was rich with it. It was you get that that trademark Halo soundtrack. The, yes. The... Oh, <laughs> uh, and and Master Chief and a few vehicles that we that we all know and love. Or, yes. I'm, uh, yes. All of us, even those of you who have never played the series. Well, La- <laughs> Lauren and I know and love them. Uh, uh, yeah. The the Warthog. I think there's a Phantom in there. Yeah. Um, some ghosts. Some ghosts. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so, some of the some of the alien elites. Yep. Yep. So these were. Uh, characters or creatures or, or vehicles or whatever that would end up actually being featured in the, the final game. And as a result of this, Steve Jobs actually, he comes out and confidently says, you know, there was a time when it was hard to find good games for the Mac, and that time is over because of companies like Bungie, which was uh, unfortunate, uh, as it turned out eventually. But anyway, at that same time around that same time in 99 
Bungie would partner with another company called Take Two. Uh, video gamers have, I'm sure, recognized that name as well. So in, in exchange for 19.9% of Bungie, so Take Two took just under 20% ownership of Bungie, Take Two would distribute Oni and Halo. Now, the reason for that partnership was partly due to this kind of financial difficulty Bungie had found itself in in the wake of the Myth 2 disaster. Uh, so Bungie West was working on Oni, which we mentioned at the end of the last podcast. Oni was that third-person anime-inspired uh, uh, sci-fi adventure. Right. Um, and then they also had to figure out how to recover from this this bug we had talked about. So... So, so partnering with Take Two made perfect sense. Yeah, uh, it was not quite enough. Bungie was still sort of in this this bleak, well, maybe bleak is the wrong word, but dangerous situation. And so they continued to look for opportunities, actually looking at possibly getting acquired by another company. Uh, well, they had supposedly been been approached many times over the years by many different companies um, yeah. on on becoming absorbed. I think Activision was one that they said had pursued them uh, particularly a lot. They would, that was they really would, great English, guys. They would have a, have a deep relationship with Activision <laughs> later on as well. Uh-huh. Um, but then on, on June 19th of the year 2000, Microsoft announced that it was going to acquire Bungie. This, as you can imagine, was a huge shakeup in the video game world. I mean, you had this this developer known for creating games for the Macintosh platform, a platform that really did l- you know, lag behind PCs. I mean, if uh-huh. you look at the, the market share of Macs, if you had a runaway hit on a Macintosh platform, you might be talking 200,000 copies of a game. Because there just weren't as many Macs out there at the time as there were PCs. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, by a huge margin. Um, for, for a little bit of perspective here, the, the release of Windows 95 and 98 in those years, respectively, had catapulted PC sales. From 1995 through 1998, PC sales went from being a, a relatively mere eight times the number of <laughs> Mac sales to being about 32 times the number of Mac sales. In three years, and they were in the midst of a second jump when when Bungie was acquired by Microsoft. They'd climbed uh, to about 56 times the number of Mac sales by 2004. Now, these days, Apple has had another renaissance. But but in the mid in the early to mid 2000s, that was just not the case. And so while Steve Jobs was really doing his best to turn Apple around, uh, PC was really dominating in the home market. So. As part of this deal uh, of Bungie going over to Microsoft, some things had to change because not all the, the development stuff could go the way they had originally planned. One of those was that Bungie transferred the rights to Oni and to the Myth franchise to take to interactive software. So when I mentioned at the end of the last episode that there was a Myth 3 game but not published under Bungie, it was published under Take-Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oni was still pretty much considered a Bungie game because it was it was more or less complete when it went to take two to be published on uh, under their label. Mm-hmm. So Bungie would become essentially an independent game studio under the Microsoft corporate umbrella. They had their own culture that was very different from Microsoft. Oh, yeah, yeah. E- even though they did relocate from Chicago to Redwood, Washington. Yeah, they uh, they went into the offices and this is on that that uh, in the last episode, I mentioned the 20th anniversary documentary uh-huh. uh, for the, the Bungie 20th anniversary. They 
They went into the offices, and the offices at Microsoft are laid out very much the way you would imagine the stereotypical office with cubicles. They took one look at it and said, uh, no, this isn't us. They tore out all the cubicles to create a big open floor plan space that that <laughs> uh-huh. was what they were used to. And they said that eventually it got to the point where the people at Microsoft didn't even have a key to get into the Bungie Studios area because it was it was like a different world. So very interesting that the culture was there. So uh-huh. and uh, and also part of the deal, uh, Take Two sold their 19 point whatever it was. Yeah. Percent shares in in Bungie to Microsoft. That's right. And also Microsoft would gain exclusive rights to produce and distribute Halo mostly intending it to be part of their upcoming Xbox console. That's right. They they were getting to a point where they were getting ready to release this console, but they also needed to have developers to create content for the console. They were brand new at this, right? This was before Microsoft had any entry into the console gaming world at all. And they were going to take on Sony and the PlayStation and Nintendo as well. But Sony was really the big one that they were aiming at. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the PS2, I believe, was also released uh, in, in March of the year 2000 over in Japan. I, I I don't have in front of me the date that it released in the U.S. Right. But, you know, the stuff that Sony had been doing with the PlayStation, the, the PSX, the PlayStation 1 and right. also the PS2 and, and Sega with the Dreamcast as well yep. was just blowing the minds of everyone in the gaming industry. So, and yeah. so, you know, even, I mean, you know, I, I understand that a lot of Mac users felt very betrayed by mm-hmm. this decision of Bungie and felt like they had sold out. But honestly, y'all, it was so savvy of them to get into the console market at, at that point, you know. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a, a move that preserved Bungie because otherwise it may not have been able to stay a unit. It would have it would have broken apart from all the the problems that they had faced in the wake of of Myth Two and the other issues. Uh huh. And and beyond that, it allowed them to get in on the ground floor of of this round of amazing consoles. Right. And so it was a beneficial relationship for both parties, both for Microsoft, really for Microsoft, considering the phenomenal well, success. Eventually, yeah, of Halo. certainly. Um, I, but yeah, I, you know, it's I, I'm not sure if it was a. a such an assured success for them at that point. They said specifically, it was interesting in that documentary, they said, you know, there was nothing preordained about Halo becoming a big, big success. In fact, originally when the Microsoft con- Xbox console was coming out, it wasn't going to be uh, heralded as the main attraction. It was only that, it wasn't the flagship at first. Yeah, right? it yeah. was. It was that people began to react to it. And particularly once they got to play the multiplayer part, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, they reacted to it so enthusiastically that it, they quickly said, Oh, well, this is, this is our, our console killer. This is what is going to sell units. But they didn't know that at the beginning. So 2001 is when uh, Take Two releases Oni. Uh, right. Meanwhile, that would come out for, for Windows, Mac, and the PlayStation 2. Right. And it was originally supposed to come out in 99, but there were so many development problems that slowed things down. Oh, and the complication of the Microsoft acquisition. Yeah, absolutely. So here's the unfortunate thing about this one. Take-Two had banked on Oni being a huge hit. So this is kind of like the opposite side of the whole Halo thing, where Microsoft was hedging its bets. Take-Two said, no, Oni, because Bungie has got this name in gaming. Yeah, it's going to explode. And then it didn't really at all. I mean, mean, there was certainly a a hardcore group of of Bungie fans that picked up on it very much. Absolutely. And some some new converts as well. I remember a a few of my friends were very fond of the game. 
I uh, had never really looked into it until we started researching this podcast. And when I watched the gameplay, I, I saw is that this game was ahead of its time. Oh, it was way ways. ahead of its time. And in, in terms of the gameplay, you could you could do these combo moves that that were very beautiful. Yeah, there was very... something like a thousand different animations for hand to hand combat, uh-huh. which is crazy. Also, you saw some bungee favorites showing up, things like learning more about the world through terminals. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, there's certain certain tropes like like you were saying, Lauren, at the beginning of the last episode that Bungie had established that they continued to really rely upon. Another big change happened for Bungie in 2001. They had already uh, moved over to Microsoft. Oni had come out and then they experienced a pretty significant change in their structure. Uh, yeah. After Oni had published, their founder or co-founder, depending on who you ask, Alex Seropian, would leave the company to found a new Chicago-based game developing company called Wide Load Games. Yeah. So Seropian, of course, it was his brainchild. He and, and Jones together had really created Bungie. Seropian was ready to leave by the time uh, it had moved over to Microsoft. He felt that, I suppose, that it was really, you know, this it, Bungie had transformed, had evolved into something new, and he was interested in moving on. White Load Games uh, would eventually get acquired by a little company called Disney and become part of Disney Interactive. Uh, Seropian would actually become a pretty important executive at Disney Interactive. But, uh, but then would leave in 2012 to found a, another company called Industrial Toys. Yep. They're creating games for mobile devices like iOS. So also in 2001, if that's not enough, you've got Seropian <laughs> leaving. Something else happened. Uh, yeah. At, at Around the same time after Oni had published Bungie West being the subset of Bungie, which had which had really developed the game, would fold. Yeah. They, it just didn't make sense to have two different office presences, especially now that they had been folded into uh, Microsoft officially. Right. So, uh, so Bungie West goes away. Uh, and in November 2001, this is a big year for Bungie. Uh, they actually would release Halo Combat Evolved for the Xbox. So it was a launch title for the console system, huge deal for Microsoft, and it was an enormous hit. Uh, it didn't feature online multiplayer because Xbox Live wasn't yet ready. So, uh, right. Uh, this was one of those instances where Microsoft had been trumpeting the fact, you know, that they included an Ethernet port in the Xbox at launch. Yeah. But the live component of it, the, the software was not prepared. Right. So they, there was no platform to support it. However, mm-hmm. what you could do. Uh, right. Was was LAN your Xboxes together. Yeah. And the... It, it was a lot less complicated than the process of landing computer systems together. Yeah, it's a plug and play type thing. Right, right. And that was, I remember the first time that I saw this and it was so revolutionary to me, the idea that you wouldn't have to go into all of your settings and mess around with everything and go through that frustration level. Uh, that, that, yeah, that you, you really would just hook them up together and they would basically do it for you. Yeah. So, uh, for those of you who have never participated in the joy of a LAN party. <laughs> uh, uh, LAN is local area network, if we have not mentioned that yet in this particular episode. Yeah, it's um, 
so the way Halo multiplayer would work is that you would get uh, multiple people on a single console and that would create a split screen environment. And that mm-hmm. would depend upon how many people were playing. Uh, up right. To four. Uh, yeah. Cooperatively, you could play a two player game. Right. Um, and in a versus kind of universe, you could you could play four. Four on a single console. But you yeah. could you could network multiple consoles together for a maximum of 16 players. Uh-huh. So imagine that you've got these multiple televisions side by side, all of them in split screen view. All of you are playing a specific one uh there was this was a time where multiplayer meant that you could engage in some underhanded tactics i'm talking screen lookers i know you're out there okay it's part of the game it is not part of the game it is not a legitimate strategy you should be looking at your own screen don't look at my screen it's like checking your rear view mirror there's nothing (laughs) wrong You, you can't avoid it look you know it's it's a common thing on in in games of war for you to be able to look through the eyes of your enemy and see exactly where they are look this is why we always wound up having having two rooms of of Xboxes yeah. with red team on one side and blue team on Which the other. Which would be fantastic because so that, that you, meant you yeah. only saw your, your, your fellow players. Screens. Yeah, exactly. right, right. And you could cooperate. And you wouldn't get people shouting at you about screen looking, <laughs> only about everything else. Camping. Yeah. Now that's a legitimate strategy. That is not a legitimate strategy. Hey, I'm sorry. Red versus blue taught it to me. <sighs> but uh yeah, so it was interesting because the, the whole first person shooter, if you've never played Halo, if you don't know anything about Halo, we can tell you everything about Halo. But we'll give you we'll give you the, the high level look. Um, it was revisiting a lot of the ideas that Bungie had explored in the Marathon series. But the two games are not set in the same universe. Right. Um, the general plot is that it's in the future where humanity has expanded and colonized far distant worlds. And through this colonization process, several things have happened. Some of this gets explored in expanded universe material like novels or uh, miniseries. But the games, uh, as they unfold, you learn things like uh, there were periods of civil unrest where people on far reaching planets were uh, upset at Earth's kind of uh, totalitarian approach to colonization. Mm-hmm. Uh, other humans, not aliens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this was there. Were, there were these civil wars. And uh, at any rate, also during colonization, we happen to come into contact. We humans with uh, some aliens who uh, um, called called the Covenant. Right? Yeah. Called the Covenant specifically because it's a a confederacy of different alien species who all share the same religion. And part of that religion involves this idea of a great journey where the entire uh, alien uh, confederation will move on to an uh, enlightened level of existence. But they're also heretics and humans are heretics because we take advantage of ancient technologies that we come across that we're not supposed to touch because they're very important to the alien religion. All of that is the backstory, like the, the, the background of what's going on in the game. The game, you have a very, very much a more immediate problem than this complex religious and political kind of uh, turmoil is going on. Although, yeah, like, like I don't think that the game would have taken off the way that it did if it hadn't had this background. Yeah. So, but you know, it's, it's, so, so it's important, but not critical to the modern right, moment. Right. Again, just like, just like the earlier games, you could play this just run and gun straight uh-huh. through or just play the multiplayer and never even touch the single player and still find it a very satisfying experience. But it was the story that got a lot of people interested in saying, wow, this is, this is really this is a, complicated. This is something. Yeah. yeah. There's there's like a whole mythology. There's there's stuff going on besides what your character is doing. A lot of computer games and video games, I think, give you the impression that whatever you are doing 
is the only thing that's really of consequence that's happening within that game world. Uh-huh. And that's not the case with the Halo games necessarily. So the game opens where you are playing a, a character called the Master Chief. Um, Master Chief is his, is his uh, rank uh-huh. uh, in a, a he's a, a space marine, essentially uh, wearing superpowered armor. He's genetically enhanced. Um, he's kind of uh, the elite of the elite. And there's a whole backstory to them that we're not going to go into because that could be like a series of podcasts. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. At any rate, you're on a ship that uh, gets attacked by Covenant forces. And uh, in the process, you're trying to uh, kind of escape the Covenant. You're, you're really your goal is to make sure the Covenant don't figure out where Earth is. Because, because they want to kill us all. Yeah, the, that would be bad. So you try your your ship tries to escape in slip space, which is kind of a hyperspace sort of thing. And you just happen to come out right at a gigantic ring shaped uh, planet sized space station. Planet size in the sense that if you look at the square footage of the surface area, it's like a planet. Um, although it is a it is an artificial construct built by a mysterious uh, race of aliens called the Forerunners, who are no longer around. Uh huh. And but this thing is called a Halo. Yeah, Halo installation. I think it's installation O four in the lore of the game. Yes. Um. So in the game, you the Covenant show up too. They they follow right behind you. And they they see this thing and they think, oh, wow, this is interesting. We want to check this out, too. So it becomes kind of a race to try and find out what's the purpose to of this installation. This thing. Yeah. Yeah. Along the way. The yeah. Yeah. But along the way, you run into these aliens called the flood, which are these parasitic things that turn both humans and aliens alike into sort of zombie things. Yeah. And you find out eventually that the in- purpose of the installation was twofold. One, to contain the flood for study. And two, to act as a defense mechanism if the flood were ever released into the galaxy, because the flood can essentially infect any sentient life form. So eventually what you learn is that this installation, if turned on, will wipe out all sentient life within a huge radius, like a significant portion of the galaxy. Uh-huh. And um, and so you you come to the conclusion that that would be a bad thing, whereas the Covenant think... This is the key to the great journey. This is worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. If we push this button, then we will totally move on to an enlightened form of existence. Uh, so that's where the whole, whole, um, uh, conflict comes in. By the end of it, you, spoiler alert, successfully destroy the installation. And then, uh, you know, uh, Cortana, this AI, which again, very important in the, in the lore of Bungie is mm-hmm. the artificial intelligence. Cortana, the AI who's been looking after you and helping you along the way, says, uh, it's over. And of course, you're like, it's just getting started. <laughs> that's a that's a good Master Chief impression. No, it's not. It no, it wasn't. That, I was being kind. I don't have a deep, I don't have a, a baso profundo type voice. Uh, so also I've been coughing a lot. So my, I, this is as, this is as gruff as I can get. But yeah, uh, it was it was pretty it was it was for for a console based first person shooter it was really complex and rich and had satisfying gameplay for a lot of players oh sure well and and also the the combat evolved part of the title meant that the the ai in the game and i'm not talking about the the artificial intelligence characters i'm talking about in, in the game itself yep. the the enemies and the friendlies would were, were really very smart yeah. and could react to you in very interesting ways uh, and 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 form their own kind of strategies as you moved through the gameplay. Right. And so 
And so it was it was a very fun experience, especially for anyone who, you know, had had dealt with very dumb AI in, in previous. Right. Right. I, I And I hear that there are a lot of people who um, like like PC players, first person shooter players who, who kind of look down on the Halo series because uh, the control scheme is it, it had to be made specifically for the controller, not uh-huh. for a mouse and keyboard. Which means you have to give up a lot of precision that you would oh, have absolutely. otherwise. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that dismissing one type of first person shooter based upon the platform is short sighted. As a, as a person who likes both computer games and console games, uh, I love the gameplay in Halo. It's very satisfying to me. Uh, it's, it probably feels very different for someone who's more attuned to first person shooters on computers. And oh, I understand sure. that, uh-huh. but I, I think, I it's, think also, it's satisfying. I do think it's also a little bit easier um, on the entry level to yes. to get into it. And I yeah. think that once once you are into it, there's a pretty there's a pretty good depth of of range of of a uh, uh, skill level skill level and, yeah. that you can achieve. So. Certainly, yeah. I mean, based upon my online experiences <laughs> with most of the Halo series, uh, oh yeah, it's an easy game to pick up and a difficult one for for me at any rate to master. Uh, moving on, though, so Halo, huge success, both for Bungie and Microsoft, which mm-hmm. are one and the same thing right now. Uh, yeah. And as of 2002, they would announce that they were developing a sequel, Halo 2. Yep. Now, this development process was not a smooth one. Uh, it actually ended up causing a lot of issues. The There's a, a large section of that documentary I mentioned that's dedicated specifically to the development of Halo 2, where they came up with these big ideas for different level designs, uh, plot elements, weapons, vehicles, enemies, all this kind of stuff. But as they were developing the game, they realized that they couldn't really achieve the things they had originally planned. It just wasn't going to work out. Specifically, it wasn't going to work out as a first-person shooter type of game. Uh, and so they started to really uh, uh, worry about uh, the integrity of the single-player campaign. Meanwhile, there was a new focus on multiplayer, because now Xbox Live was going to be ready by the time Halo 2 came out. So they wanted to really nail uh, multiplayer. Ah, yeah, yeah. It was a huge Microsoft imperative to, to get this flagship game of theirs on their new shiny multiplayer network. Yeah, because you still couldn't play the first Halo on Xbox Live. It just wasn't going to work because so, it hadn't been built into that first Halo. So Halo 2 was going to be the first one where you had that opportunity. They really wanted to get it right. They had to, to pull a lot of resources onto multiplayer, which meant that the single player campaign began to lag behind. Uh, and so, yeah, it was really getting kind of grim for Halo 2. In fact, if you listen to the documentary, they start talking like in really depressing language about it, saying that it was uh, just a, a grueling process, um, at, including a lack of leadership. You know, we had talked about Seropian having left the company. Jason Jones, meanwhile, wasn't working on Halo 2. He was working on a project that was codenamed the Phoenix Project, um, also called Breach or TTFKAM2, also known as the team formerly known as Myth 2. Yeah. So it was the Myth 2 development team working on a new uh, game, which was never like we, there's never been any public announcement about what that game would have been. Mm-hmm. It never came out. Yeah, nope. it never came out. They, Spoiler they, alert. Yeah, they scrapped it. But uh, so the 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 leading theory is that it was a fantasy based strategy game. Uh, kind of similar to Myth 2. That would be why fans called it TTFKM2. Um, we will we'll never know. They ended up saying, look, Halo 2 is the most important project right now, and it's it's kind of floundering. So Jones would end up moving over to Halo 2 
uh, and trying to to add some more leadership to this development team. Um, moving on to 2003. Uh, yeah, in 2003, they would release a port of, of Halo 1, Halo Combat Evolved, for the PC and Mac platforms. Uh it did allow for online multiplayer play, but yep. it did not allow for cooperative gameplay through the the storyline. Yeah, the single player campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was that was a downside. Although they did have other maps that the console players didn't have yes. access to. Yes. Uh, so that was one of those things that got console players a little jealous. Um, at any rate, at E3 2003, Bungie would show off some footage from Halo 2 and fanboys. Lose their ever-loving minds. That, that is an accurate portrayal of the events. Yeah, yes. if, you can again. You can find videos of the Halo Two reveal at E3 2003, and it's it's insane to hear the reaction. It's funny too because I think out of all the Halo reveals that I've either been present for or watched online, I think this was the biggest reaction out of all of them. Partly because you started seeing things in the in the reveal, including. The ability to wield two weapons at once, which drove everyone bonkers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you mean I can use my left hand, too? Two needlers? <laughs> so yeah. apparently that was a uh, a real eye-opening experience. <laughs> uh, also in 2003, uh, this doesn't have to do with Bungie directly yeah. at this point, but a group of Bungie fans, or Halo fans specifically, would put out a small series known as Red vs. Blue. That's right. First episode goes live April 1st, 2003, which if you've ever listened to any podcast that the company's done or gone to any panels, they talk about how... They regret that simply because whenever they make an announcement on an anniversary, people expect it to be an April Fool's joke. Uh-huh. Um, it ended up being a huge success. If you go back and search the Tech Stuff archives, we actually did an interview with uh, Bernie Burns, the uh, the founder of uh, Rooster Teeth, the company that makes Red versus Blue. And it, it starts off with some playful references to stuff that's within the Halo universe, like Master Chief and the Covenant Armada, mm-hmm. and then very, very quickly forges its own path into madness and comedy uh, and, yeah, and drama, yeah. too. Oh, sure, sure. But this this was all footage taken or footage in in-game footage taken from the Halo series. Yeah, essentially using the characters like digital puppets. Uh, right. And it was... They, they were able to, to make these little digital puppets kind of talk by, by utilizing a glitch in the game. Yeah. That, that would be erased from Halo 2. There, there was a little <laughs> bit of a concern right around now about whether or not they would even be able to continue making this series. Yeah. Once Halo 2 had come out. Yeah. And they possibly fixed the bug. Yeah. It was, it was one of those things where Bungie was saying, Oh, we should really fix this. And they said, wait, that's what lets Please us make don't. our movies. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, uh, Bungie would code in. They, they did fix the bug, but they allowed for, uh, they allowed for you to do it basically on purpose. It was essentially head bobbing so mm-hmm. that, that way it would, uh, cause you know, the, the, the master chief outfit includes a full faced helmet that hides the person's head. You can't see the person. So you can't tell who's talking unless you have some sort of movement. Motion. Yeah. Right. So, uh, 2004 in July, a theatrical preview for Halo 2 ends with a quick flash of the URL ilovebees.com. An alternate reality game or ARG with, with ties to 
really far-reaching concepts in the Halo universe that had never really been explicitly stated before. Yeah, it's mostly uh, AI and rampancy. That was the big one, which, of course, had been introduced in the Marathon series. But rampancy wasn't really addressed well, in the first Halo. Well, 343 Guilty Spark. Well, that's true. 343 Guilty rampant, Spark. That's very true. AI. I was specifically thinking of okay. human design AI, but 343 <laughs> Guilty Spark uh, definitely falls into that realm of if AI is left alone long enough, it goes crazy, y'all. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and, and so, so this, this I Love Bees game would, was, was a huge internet sensation. I had so many friends who were playing it. I didn't catch up with it until much later. But... I, I was playing to the point where I was strongly, uh, leaning toward going to one of the, the public telephones that you could go to uh-huh. and wait. And there would be a call that would come in at certain t- telephone, uh, telephones during certain times of the day in certain cities. And if you responded with the right code phrase, you could actually participate in this game. They actually recorded those phone conversations and uh, ended up packaging them together for people who had been playing the game the whole time so that you could go to a physical event with a real live people there that was all about celebrating this alternate reality game that was at that point tangentially related to Halo 2. <laughs> and you could get a copy of all them. And it was great because it would have things like the AI on the other phone would ask you uh, questions like, what's your favorite song? And you would answer and just sing it for me. So you had all these people singing into a phone, including and it brought tears to my eyes. I'll never forget. There was one female player of the ARG who said that her favorite song was Stormy Weather. So she started singing it and the AI ended up singing Harmony. So it's fantastic. It's all online. Oh, yeah. No. And and alternate reality games, if you guys haven't heard of them very much before, are this kind of interactive experience Mm -hmm. where it it requires players to 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 go out into the world and answer phone calls at phone booths you know back when those things still existed yeah. or find clues and and enter them up into the game world and and collectively figure out what's going on in order to proceed in the game as a community and yeah. it can be a very powerful marketing tool i i think that this is probably the most successful one that this i one, have seen this one an ai uh, yeah. the beast right, with right. ai Although I should also add, in both cases, you had people who were obsessed with the alternate reality game who never really cared got, about the Halo yeah, part, yeah, or or AI for that matter, oh, it was sure. the same sort of thing. But anyway, right, right. So, so in November, Halo Two would actually release. It uh, it did some some fair business, right? Uh, yeah, it sold more than two point four million copies in the first twenty four hours. So a hundred thousand copies an hour—that's not bad. Yeah, that's considering not shabby. that again, back in their Macintosh days, they would consider a blowout success to be two hundred thousand copies. That's pretty phenomenal. And uh, and and the plot of these games, uh, along with some of the backstory that was revealed through I Love Bees, would, would make this entire universe even more complicated. Yeah. So uh, the important thing to remember here, from a, a kind of a, a meta perspective is that the third act of Halo 2 had been truncated. They essentially, in order to get the game out before it was no longer relevant, they had to make some serious cutbacks on the development side. And that involved removing an entire plot point that would happen uh, after what ends up being the end of Halo 2. So it was essentially a third shorter than what it was planned to be. Um, Again, it was such an arduous process. Team morale at Bungie was really low. It was just one of those things where people felt kind of like they had failed in their attempt. And 
part of that was just them saying, you know, if you don't, if you don't aim for something that's scary, it's not really worth doing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you might fail in that, but that's what makes it worth doing. Uh, but they, but they did achieve a, a really rich online multiplayer gaming. Oh community. yeah. Oh yeah. No, Halo 2 online multiplayer is one of those things that, uh, that, that lovers of the console still cite as being uh, a favorite. And in fact, I know a lot of people who are eagerly anticipating the Xbox One release of the Master Chief Collection, which collects uh, Halos 1 through 4 and allows you to have that online multiplayer with all of them over Xbox Live on Xbox One. And uh, and people are really eager to play Halo 2 multiplayer again. Aww. Because otherwise you, you can't really do it. Oh, so. yeah. No, 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 no. Ab- absolutely. Um, I'm still very nostalgic personally for some of those maps. I, I, yeah. get, I get a little bit misty eyed. I love Ascension. I, and I do, I do still really tear up about bees. It, it's, it's pretty <laughs> ridiculous. So 2006, uh, Bungie would show off a trailer for Halo 3 at E3. Uh, this one's for the Xbox 360. So moving on to the next generation of game consoles. Uh, right. Halo 3 would come out the next year in September of 2007 and, uh, you know, immediately go gold and sell more than $300 million worth of this game within the first week. Yeah. Yeah. Phenomenally successful. And at that point, uh, Bungie, actually shortly before the actual release of the game, had announced that it would separate from Microsoft later on in the year. So by October 2007, Bungie would leave Microsoft and become its own independent game studio once again. Uh, although as part of the deal, they agreed to make two more Halo games and then hand over the Halo franchise to Microsoft to do with it what they would. Yep. So they said that, you know, if it came down to going out and, and forming their own identity once more, uh, giving up their baby was a tough thing to do, but it was the right thing to do, according to uh, the folks who stayed with Bungie. Not uh, everybody did. <laughs> no, it's. I think that overall, the, the the feel at Bungie was pretty positive. They 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 said on Bungie.net, on its own once again with a horizon full of opportunities for the studio. What's next for Bungie? Hush, if you're quiet enough, you can hear it on the lips of unborn babes. Yeah. So as it turns out, the folks at Bungie have a bit of a sense of humor. Uh, so Halo Three picks up where <laughs> Halo. Kidding. Yeah, yeah, no, really. I, I think they, I think they do have a anyway. <laughs> yeah, they're they're pretty well known for it. Yes. Uh, Halo Three picked up where Halo Two left off, so no big surprise there. Uh, essentially, by the end of the Halo Three, I'm not going to go through the whole plot again. It's very complicated. But Master Chief and Cortana at the end of Halo Three are kind of set adrift, light years from Earth, uh, in half of a starship. Uh, Master Chief goes into stasis. Uh, Cortana is kind of on standby. And that's the end of the Halo trilogy. It's kind of, they talked about it as being a three-act tragedy. Mm-hmm. And so this is sort of the tragic end. Uh, Master Chief is alive, but he is completely separated from humanity. And no one on Earth is aware of whether or not he's, they, they assume he's dead. Mm-hmm. And, and so that that was kind of their way of saying, this is a fitting end. Uh, Master Chief saves the day, but he himself is cut off, off from everybody else. Um, the, the game did though also feature a forge mode. Yep. Um, in, in which you could go in and, and create your own maps and game types with all kinds of physics and, and, and weapons that you wanted to put in there. If you remember from, uh, from Marathon 3 Infinity way back in 1996, mm-hmm. this is a very familiar feature. Yep. And uh, what was also cool is you could record footage yeah, yeah. as you're playing. So, you could actually make your own little machinima if you wanted to. That's mm-hmm. that's what the kind of animation that Red versus oh, Blue is. Yeah, I don't think we ever said that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I totally forgot to mention it. But uh, you could do your own if you wanted to. 
and a lot of people did. Or you could be one of those people who, you know, you're playing the game and you suddenly get sniped out of nowhere and you, after the, after the match is over, you review it to say, where the heck was that person? How, how did, where did they get to? What was their vantage point? How do I get there so I can so try to do, do those time? things? Yeah. So it actually made people better players too, because they could really uh, examine and scrutinize what was going on at any given time and they could change camera angles. It's not like you were limited to, you know, a camera angle in a virtual world is able to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So you could completely take a scene and do a 360 degree sweep around it. It's really awesome. So, uh, moving on in 2008, Harold Ryan, who had served as the test manager and producer for Halo 2, becomes the president of Bungie. Uh, and in 2009, Bungie would release the first of those two games they had promised Microsoft in the Halo series, Halo 3 ODST. Uh, which stood for Orbital Drop Shock Troopers, which was a, a class of, of Marines yep. s- somewhat below the, the mas- Spartans, the Spartans, yeah. uh, a.k.a. The, the Master Chief character is a Spartan yeah, right? Right. Uh, in terms of technological and physical ability. Yep. Uh, it was kind of set in a film noir type genre, like they wanted to have a very dark, kind of gritty, uh, uh, desperate feel for the game. It was it was pretty spooky. It was it was very desolate. It um, also uh, featured uh, one of the spookiest actors in the world, Nathan Nathan Fillion. Fillion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Katie, Katie Sackhoff was in that one too. Yeah, wasn't I think she? so. I, I think believe. so. Yeah. Um, and, and involved it involved a lot again of of backstory told through these found recordings. Yeah, and it was uh kind of set between Halo Two and Halo Three, like the events that that lead from Halo Two to Halo Three, and it didn't feature Master Chief at all. You played as nope. these other characters. Uh, Bungie also would announce in 2009 Halo Reach, which would be the final Bungie-backed game in the Halo universe. Uh, and meanwhile, Microsoft, not resting on its laurels, formed 343 Industries. So, Guilty Spark 343, that's where that name comes from. Uh-huh. Um, uh, <laughs> I have, I have a little bit of a thing to say about that, actually. Okay. I, I find it very strange that they chose 343 as, as the name of this in-house company because the, I, I mean, we, we, we mentioned it earlier, but, but 343 Guilty Spark was this floating AI who was really integral to, to the events of, of the series. He mm. showed up first in, in Halo 1. He, I mean, it, I suppose, probably. It's a male it, voice. Had a, it had a dude voice, yeah. yeah. Um, while it wasn't necessarily evil, is definitely at odds with you through most of the series and is more than a little bit completely bonkers in that very charmingly murderous way yeah. that the video game AI characters tend to get. Um, so I'd, I just think that it's really interesting that they were like, that's our name yeah. right there. It's um, not like Cortana or something. Right. Like- <laughs> right. I would say that I would say that 343 is is at least amoral. If not, he, he has very specific parameters that he follows very, very literally. And sort of the, the less cursy elsewhere engine of the Halo series. There sure. you go. Uh, and the the lead over at 343 is Frank O'Connor, who was formerly Bungie's content manager. So mm-hmm. some of the Bungie employees moved on over to 343, stayed with that, and Microsoft. Others went with the rest of the company to become their own independent uh, entity. Uh, the next year, in 2010, Bungie would release Halo Reach. It's a prequel to the first Halo game. So Halo Combat Evolved prequel. It takes place on the planet... That, uh, you know, I talked about in, in Halo, you're on a ship that's being attacked by the Covenant. The ship is in orbit around this planet, Reach. And uh, so this is the story of the fall of Reach, when Reach was invaded by the Covenant and mm-hmm. the this group of uh, Spartans who are uh, charged with getting very important uh, package to 
the Pillar of Autumn, which is the ship you're on in the beginning of Halo. Uh, right, right. And, and this the storyline is, I mean, anyone who is very familiar with the Halo series would know that it ends in terrible tragedy. Yeah. Um, so going into this game, I was a little bit upset. I mean, I mean, this, the story of the fall of Reach is why I cried so much during I Love Bees. <laughs> So I, I was, but I had a lot of friends who, who had never played the games that deeply, had never paid that much attention to the backstory. Sure. So, so they were all very surprised and, and upset in real time, which yeah. I kind of schadenfreudely, uh, enjoyed. Spoiler alert for those who, who, who may have not played this game, but plan to, uh, so yeah, it doesn't end well, but you, you know <laughs> that from the beginning of Halo. I mean, it's, it's clear what's happening. Um, but, uh, at least one member of Noble Six does live. Well, there you go. So there, it's probably not you, but one of so them does. So it's not that everybody dies. <laughs> uh, it was also the year 2011 of Bungie's 20th anniversary. That's uh, when the documentary right. came out. Mm-hmm. Um, they also hinted at Bungie's next project, which at the time was codenamed Project Tiger. That would end up becoming the game that we now know as Destiny, which, as of the recording of this podcast, still has yet to come out. Mm-hmm. But uh, they have done an alpha and a beta on it. In 2012, a lawsuit between Activision and some former Infinity Ward employees included a publishing contract between Activision and Bungie as evidence. Uh, the judge of the case unsealed this contract, and that revealed that the agreement covered four games under the Destiny franchise developed by Bungie, distributed by Activision. So kind of laying the cat out of the bag to, through a completely unrelated lawsuit. Uh, the company, Bungie, began to release information about the game in the wake of various leaks that plagued the project. The budget for the game was reported to be $500 million. Half a billion bucks. Uh, although that might be for the entire series and include stuff like like server costs yeah, and all of that. Right, I mean, so you know. we, we don't know what that budget entails. I would imagine it has to be the entire series. I can't. $500 million for a single game would be uh, such a huge investment that I don't know how you would earn your money back. Yeah, no. Um, so moving on in 2013, Joseph Staten, who had worked for Bungie since 1998 and co-created Destiny, leaves the company and joins Microsoft. And in 2014, the release of Destiny is scheduled for September 2014. Mm -hmm. And we are recording this, by the way, on uh, August 21st of 2014. Yep. So it's still not out yet. So we haven't had a chance to to really play with it. But um, the alpha and beta programs both allowed uh, prospective players to give it uh, a whirl and uh, was widely shown as to be a success, at least as far as beta programs are going. It's a fully online first-person shooter game with some role-playing game elements, persistent world that's supposed to change over time as as players join and uh, complete different missions. So in theory, you'll be able to start playing this game and then eventually get brand new missions that uh, unwrap as the world itself evolves. So some missions may come online, some old missions may no longer be relevant. Um, I've heard rumors of an app that would alert you when new stuff pops up. So you would be able to, you know, it's it's supposed to be an alert that would come to your character in the game, which Mm -hmm. your character is called a guardian. The storyline of this is just basically that you are one of humanity's last protectors. Uh, It's a sci-fi world. We don't have a whole lot about the story right now. Uh Uh, So we're not going to go into that too much because it's, first of all, it's a brand new game. And I think a lot of people want to have the chance to, uh, explore it themselves. Oh, sure. Uh, but yeah, a, a few details here and there. Um, there's there's another robotic AI. Yep. Uh, voiced by none, Peter Dinklage. Nonetheless than Peter Dinklage. Oh. Yes. 
Who who doesn't need a little more Dinklage in their lives? That's we all we all we all need the Dinklage. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so Dinklage, uh, which I hear a lot of people referring to the ghost, which is the little robotic uh, cube that floats around and has Peter Dinklage's voice. A lot of people are just referring to it as the Dinklage. Uh, I have no idea how Mr. Dinklage feels about this. Um, I, I hope he finds it amusing and charming because Fingers I'm sure crossed. that's the way most people intend it. Uh, there was actually an Easter egg about Destiny hidden in Halo ODST. There was a poster or, or rather there was some writing on a wall. Oh, that, wow. That was, it was hmm. said Destiny and it showed Earth with a little glowing orb next to it. Huh. So, uh, yeah, it's funny that all the way back then they, they had the little, little Easter egg there, which meant nothing unless, until, in, you know, like, like years hindsight. later. In that, hindsight, right. it means something. <laughs> uh, just some other breaking news as we are finishing up this episode. Uh, there was a story about Marty O'Donnell, who was the composer who created all that really, uh, uh, iconic Halo music. Uh, who was fired by the board of directors of Bungie back in April of 2014, O'Donnell would end up suing the company and an arbiter decided that O'Donnell should be granted his share in the company, which was amounting to 336,375 shares of Bungie and 48,000 shares of common stock. Uh, but Bungie has the option to appeal this decision, which has not yet happened as of the recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, then also Destiny writer Joshua Rubin has quit his job at Bungie to go and join Telltale Games to be a writer on their Game of Thrones episodic video game series that's coming out soon. So uh, considering that Destiny is a persistent world that's going to com- continue evolving, uh, I imagine that's a pretty big deal over at Bungie right now, that they're going to have to make sure that they can continue and make it feel like it's a continuous of evolution of the story and not feel jagged or mm-hmm. stop and start. So that's a, that's a tough blow for them. But that brings us up to speed. Bungie, pretty amazing company. Yeah. Huge history in video games. Oh, yeah. And and so important to, I mean, the, the first person shooter genre, definitely. Yeah. But but also also a lot of a lot of other stuff in, in their history. Very interesting. Yeah. And great, great themes, great human people. It's funny because, uh, you know, there were certain games like the Marathon series that I'd heard about, but never really looked into until we did this episode. It's just interesting to see what elements Bungie considers really, really important because you can tell which ones they are. They're the ones that keep coming back all the time, right? Uh These super deep, complex stories that reward the players who go through the trouble of exploration and experiencing these things. Mm -hmm. Um, And 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 if you don't want to, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it it is very easy in any of these games to to just run and gun. If that's what you, if you have a short attention span and that's what you want to do, but but they can be very much deeper than that. And I have a feeling uh, as I was doing the research, I, 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 going to go back and replay some of these games. Actually, I'm thinking that I'll have to invest and get an Xbox One and the Master Chief Collection because I want to play through them all again. (laughs) Uh, And I did, in fact, because I had not yet played it. uh, I played Halo Reach, but I never played ODST. Oh, no. So I bought Mm. it today. (laughs) So Uh, it'll be waiting on my Xbox when I get home. uh, I I enjoyed ODST. Well, I I find Nathan Fillion to be uh, dreamy, so I'll, I'll absolutely love playing uh, that game and listening to his melodious voice as uh, he talks about the Covenant. Uh, and and, and the, the character also is modeled very much like him. So, I, so if you, so video, if you enjoy yeah. his rugged jawline as well, <laughs> then you will get to enjoy that in the game. Well, that wraps up our story about Bungie. Lauren, do you want to do you want to talk about what's coming next for you? Uh, yeah. So so as, as I mentioned at the top of our first episode about Bungie, this this is my last episode of Tech Stuff. 
And and I have so very many emotions about it because I'm I'm really excited about moving on to other projects at How Stuff Works and and getting to really pursue some of my my interests because because honestly y'all tech has never really been my my strong suit so so I'm excited about getting in into more of the, the the science and the gross stuff that our bodies do hopefully very soon but um you know I I just wanted to to take a moment to thank. All of you guys for, I mean, you know, I, I had never done podcasting before when I started on Tech Stuff, and I had never really been a performer before, and so the opportunity to do this, like, you guys put up with my learning curve, and I have so much gratitude for you for that, because I would not be the person that I am. It's only been a year and a half, but I would not be the person who I am right now if it were not for this show, and I'm totally choking up. I feel like such a nerd. Um, and, and so, you know, just, just thank you so much to all of you guys for, for tuning in and sticking with me. And and being so supportive and and a special thanks to, well well first of all to uh to to our wonderful editor Noel for making me sound so good on this show all the time and also to our original editor for the show Tyler who uh, extra put up with my learning curve that guy was a saint and <laughs> and also also just to Jonathan so much for for showing me all of the ropes here well now you're going to end up flourishing on other uh on other shows and uh, we will miss you but we I am I encourage my listeners to go and and uh, subscribe to forward thinking because Lauren will still be an active co-host on that show mm-hmm. and of course we will keep you posted when Lauren has other projects make sure you tune into brain stuff the video series that both of us occasionally appear on uh, yeah yeah you can you can find uh, a bunch of goofy videos with the two of us over at brainstuffshow.com or on the YouTubes yep um, and uh, and same thing with forward thinking that's fwthinking.com or the YouTubes yep and uh, and and so so Jonathan where where are you taking tech stuff it's exciting uh, and scary and terrifying and fun and all these things all at the same time. So here's the thing, guys. Uh, Those are the emotions I'm having. Yeah, we don't I, I don't have uh, a replacement co-host um, planned right now, but we're going to be doing a series of guest co-hosts, including a lot of people from How Stuff Works, uh, the stuff you should know, guys, stuff mom never told you, uh, stuff they don't want you to know, car stuff. All of these folks are at some time or another going to be sitting in with me and doing special episodes of tech stuff and also people from outside of how stuff works. I've got some plans to uh, chat with some notable personalities in the field of technology podcasting, including people like Tom Merritt and Veronica Belmont and Scott Johnson and Shannon Morse. So we'll be doing some special episodes with them and also maybe some experiments with format. We might try some stuff that tech stuff has never done before. But one thing I can assure you, tech stuff will continue. And we will continue to publish twice a week. Mm-hmm. So don't worry about that. It's going to keep going. And it won't just be the Jonathan show. So if you're worried about that, <laughs> I want to set your mind at ease. I don't want that either. So if you really want the Jonathan show, write in because my ego could really take the boost. Uh. But uh, <laughs> otherwise, don't worry about it. So if you want to suggest a topic for future episodes of Tech Stuff, or you just want to send a comment, maybe you have a lovely farewell message for Lauren that you would like to share. To do so, send us an email. Our address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Or you can drop us a line on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr. Our handle is techstuffhsw. And we, I mean I, will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 